0: It feels warm over there, it feels like hell, and on that side, it's cool, so it's like a fridge over there. You've got to choose. if you're getting warm, just shift sides. Um, if you're getting cold, just shift sides. So, I've already um, lodged my complaint and was told that. So, um, I might be preaching more from this corner today, and that's why I'm not ignoring you guys. Um, so, what's happened is Paul, Silas, and Timothy, these, the, these guys, this ministry team that has gone and and they shared the gospel of Jesus with the Thessalonians, um, and then the Thessalonians received it, but then they got chased out of Thessalonica. And so um, they, they uh, are worried about the Thessalonians. There's great persecution there, and they're worried that these young Christians are going to survive the persecution. Paul's greatly worried and concerned. Jason was arrested. He's, he's a resident of Thessalonica. He's arrested, and he has to put up a guarantee, we don't know what that guarantee is, if it's just financial, or if there's a guarantee that he won't host Paul for the next little while, or few years, or ever again. But there's difficulty for Paul to get back there. Paul says, um, Satan hindered us. And the truth is this, is, this is the reality the New Testament gives to us. Satan can beat us, and God allows him to. Um, but in the end, Satan will not win. So sa- Satan can hinder Paul, and he does hinder Paul, and God allows him to hinder Paul, but it's not going to hinder what God is doing. It's not going to stop what God is doing. Paul just has to find uh, another way. We know God wins in the end. Um, He's not over-spiritualizing. And eventually they send Timothy because they're like, we can't, we can take it no more. And Paul goes, I'm willing even to be alone in Antioch. Antioch is tough. It's a very difficult place to be under incredibly harsh circumstances. And Paul says, it's, I'm okay to even be alone and send Timothy to you. That is how desperately I want to know how you're going. And then Timothy, as God's fellow coworker, will be able to supply all of your needs. He'll be able to encourage you. And then, he, you know, and then Timothy's come back with a report that the Thessalonians have not only survived the persecution, they're actually thriving. The Thessalonians are going great guns. Um, so that's fantastic. Uh, so what, what, what we're going to look at today is, is three sections um, uh, about what we can learn as a church, as a body of believers, through... Paul's experience and through what Paul is saying to them. And so the three things are um, that we each called to do face-to-face ministry today with a future glory in mind by co-working with God for the good of others. Um, and we'll look at that in a little bit. Brian, if you can put up that slide. I, I just want to have it clear in your mind. This is kind of the end. I want to have a clear in your mind what gospel-centered, a gospel-centered life looks like in a church. So on the left side, Uh, Jesus enters our world. We call that incarnation. Jesus becomes a man in our world. He leaves heaven. He leaves glory. When we become Christians, uh, God saves us and puts us into face-to-face ministry. Like Jesus, who came to minister in a time and place and bring the gospel... God puts us into a community in a time and place where we minister. And like Jesus had to lay down His glories of heaven, where He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Eternal One, and He had to come and be an incarnate man, put on flesh the limitations of a human body, um, and be led by the Spirit, and to obey God, and to be um, spat on, and and, uh, persecuted, and beaten up, and crucified. You know, that's not really a great deal. So it may be at times that we, as we put on face-to-face ministry, one to another, it's not always glorious. We may have to put off the visions of our former glory. I was someone before I met Jesus. You may have been a someone before you met Jesus. You'll never be a better someone than after you met Jesus, but you'll probably be less than the glorious self. That, that, you, that you could be, would be, wanted to be. I was going to be healthy and wealthy and famous. I was known by people. Um, people wanted to be like me. Then I became a Christian, and now I feel like uh, everyone thinks I'm a loser, or I'm ignorant, or I'm stupid, or I'm part of some cult. It's fascinating. You know, in America, we'd, we'd go shopping in a Nordstrom or something when we go visit again. Uh, Nordstrom's like a, sh- a clothing store or whatever. You, Nordstrom rack, you go like, buy cheap shoes. And um, we go to Nordstrom rack, and there's this long line, because it's normally before Christmas when we're there, and you stand in a long line, and then somebody hears your accent, and they're like, where are you from? And you go, well, we're here from Australia. It's like not even, we're born in South Africa, then we moved to California, then now we're in Australia. It's no bother. We just go, we're from Australia. And they go, what are you doing there? Oh, we live in this church. This is blah, blah. One situation, the lady behind us hears the story, starts shouting it to the other people in the line. These people are missionaries from Australia. <laughs> the great outback. And there's like hooting, hollering, and, and clapping. It got so close that an American almost paid for the shoes, but they wouldn't let go of the money. Greed got the better of them. But there was there's this kind of pomp and ceremony. You guys are amazing. You're heroes. Wow. Then you come to Australia, and you share with your secular friends what you are, and they think you lead a cult. What are you? Oh, I'm a pastor of a church. What kind of church? An Anglican one? A Catholic one? Are you a priest? No, it's an independent church. So, like, um, uh, you guys are like super religious in there. <sighs> uh, yes, I lead the cult that you think I lead. <laughs> um, anyway, so you know, we, difficult. We don't have the glory that we could have without Jesus. We could be someone's, but then we become Christians and we become no ones. And we get then called to become face-to-face ministers to each other. Not only are you now no ones, not your glorious selves, your old glorious selves, now your glory is to serve one another, to love one another, to care for one another, to lay down your life for one another, to put yourself out for one another, to show up as you have today, to look for ways to encourage one another. Man, that's not a glorious life. No, it's not. It's the life we have in Christ. It's an example of the incarnate life where He set aside the glories to come and do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. God empowers us through the Holy Spirit to do for each other what we can't do for ourselves. Jesus dies and is raised to life. He goes to the cross on our behalf. He receives our punishment for sin, and then he's raised to eternal life as a King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so, in this walk with Jesus, we become co workers with God. This new life, empowered by the Spirit. We get resurrected life given to us by the, by the Holy Spirit, and we are empowered to minister and to work in each other's life and to bring each other into kind of a new reality. Yes, there's suffering in this world. Yes, things are difficult. Yes, there's obstacles but we breathe and we gift life to one another by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus will return forever in glory. He says He's in heaven preparing a place for us. He's renewing the heavens and the earth. And one day He will return and bring a new heaven and a new earth. He will redeem basically this creation, but fully redeemed. And we go, our hope, joy, and crown of glory, Paul says, is in each other. In other words, one day when we stand there forever redeemed, it will be our relationships that is our hope, joy, and glory. It's not, what are you going to get in heaven one day? Well, you know, there's like these golden streets, and I hope that I have like this mansion on a hill. And Paul says, none of that will matter. None of that will be on your mind. What will be on your mind is that you are each other's hope, joy, and glory. We There's this like, um, when Christ returns, this is our hope. And we'll get into the sermon and explain it in a little bit. But I just want to show you how everything that we call to by Paul, is an embodiment of the gospel we've received. It's not a burden placed upon the church. It's the invitation to life that we have in the gospel of Jesus. Does that make sense? The normal life we have. Okay, so let's get into it. Um, number one, it's the, that's the what question. We are called to face-to-face ministry today. You've got this kind of the writer of Hebrews. Paul says we eagerly desire that word desire. There's the same word that you, that it's the same. It's lust, but we normally use lust as a negative, but it's exactly the same Greek word that means lust. So it's this deep, deep, profound desire, this longing, this this eagerness. If you are hungry, uh, if you're starving, you lust for food. You you long for it. You do anything just to get some food. We kind of sexualize the word, and it's only about kind of a sexual longing. But that word just describes a great desire. Paul doesn't say, I I just lust to see you face to face. He goes, I eagerly desire. It's a great, you know, he's going off the charts with, I I have. there's no greater desire than to see you face to face. So we've got them. And I I wonder if we can use this plant um, as an example of that eagerly desire to see you face to face. Just imagine this as like this, man, to be together here, like we are even now, face to face. Today, we can bless each other. We can pray for each other. We can help each other. We can encourage each other. Jib rebuked me. You know, Uh, God took a break even when he didn't need one. The people took a break because they did need one. You've never taken a break. Thanks very much. I get it. Thanks for the rebuke. I'm glad we could meet face-to-face and I could get told off publicly in front of everyone. (laughs) Face-to-face. Some of you love it. You, like Paul, you got totally get what he's talking about. I'd move heaven and earth. I love it. The writer of Hebrews says... Don't forsake the gathering of believers. Don't don't minimize the face-to-face, as some are in the habit of doing. So look at this plant. This, I don't know. They're the same plant, same room. This one is definitely experiencing something different. <laughs> this is a lack of desire. I, you know, the Hebrews writer says they're already forsaking the forsaking the gathering of the believers. It doesn't say the Hebrews writer doesn't say they're not a plant. The Hebrews writer doesn't say there's no life in them. You know, you can take them a little bit further down here, and, and maybe there's a dead thing, and you know, it's hard to tell if there's any life in it or not. We can't tell. It's, it looks pretty dead. But, he, you know, this is their kind of attitude. Don't forsake the gathering of believers as someone in the habit of doing. There's something precious about it. Don't be like this. Well, here's a spectrum. Where are you on that spectrum? Where do you live? Because the closer we get here is our independence. My life my glory my comfort my preference my thoughts my ways my priorities my schedule my ambitions my goals are going to bring you more here i don't know what the point of setting all that aside is i've got stuff going on okay over here you've got paul eagerly desire long for it be put out for it be up for persecution Be willing to send Timothy and and suffer yourself in Antioch because you so greatly desire. I I have no other preference. I have no other uh, ambition. I have no other goal. There's nothing more important in my schedule. I'll move heaven and earth. I will do whatever I have to do to be here. And so maybe you have like, uh, let's say we're over here. Now, there's no one in my mind. So if this is you, I apologize. Um, But you're here. So let's just assume that you're the saints and I'm speaking to the crowd. Go, uh, well, Johnny's got a birthday. I'm not going to be able to make it. Can you imagine, from Paul's perspective, looking from Antioch to the Thessalonians, Johnny's got a birthday. I couldn't be bothered about the face-to-face gathering of the believers. Paul goes, oh, I think you might be missing something. You see, just the attitude. It's not like a right or wrong. It's the attitude that I'm trying to get to. Paul might go. I think you don't get it fully—the privilege, the awe, the wonder, the fact that forever in eternity you will be each other's joy and glory and and, uh, and crown of glory, joy and hope. Well, you know, I just kind of didn't feel I, the, there was a, there was a weekend recently. I not Why didn't we have church? Something happened. I mean, I, we've gone to church like every week for the last. Since I was born. My dad's a pastor, so. But something happened. Anyway, I forget what it was. Maybe it was that Friday was a day off. That's what it was. Pu- Friday was a public holiday, so I got a Friday and Saturday off in a row. And I sat there on Saturday with friends. We were sitting at Mary Street Bakery and went, I cannot believe this. This, you know, people who aren't Christians get two days off every week. And then we get public holidays and we get 20 days off if you're a full time worker a year. What's the problem? Why are we so burnt out? And we are. Why are we so busy? And we are. Why are we so? There must be something wrong when we're getting two in five, and public holidays and long um, breaks. And if you're a teacher, Julian says to me, you know, you're never more than five weeks away from a holiday. <laughs> and yet, in our souls, we get dry and worn out and tired and burdened. Why? It must be something wrong. There's something in the water. But so easily, we give up on the awe and the wonder. And Paul says, I eagerly desire to see you face to face. And the point of this is just to say, each one of us are called to a face to face ministry in the body of Christ. Every single one of us. If you are a Christian, you have been given gifts by the Holy Spirit to minister to each other. So when we belittle this, when we make this small, what we're actually doing is we're making the church weak. Over here, the church is a weak, impotent, insipid Thing on the earth and I say that with reverence to the church is Christ's bride I'm not speaking ill of her bride I'm just saying when this is how she lives for herself, each individual for themselves, their schedule, their goals, their ambitions their ideas, ideals, philosophies the church gets weakened. Why? Because we take from her what the Holy Spirit has put in us to put into her and so we un-gospel the church in a sense we, in a, in it, we almost dehumanize her. We debride her and we make her a thing, an organization that we don't have to show up to or not. That's a club. A club will go on with or without you. But a body, an organic body cannot. If it's got members that each play a part, you need all the members to play their part. And I can't just cut off my hand and say, I'll, be, I'll function fine. I can't just rip out my uh, stomach and say, it's okay. We'll figure out another way to digest food. Whatever way we do figure out will be just kind of a, 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 an alternative, but never as healthy. Do, do you understand? So each of you. So what does it look like when it says we do face-to-face ministry? Um, it means that we're in close contact with each other's lives. It's, just, it's not just the Sunday. It, it's not just 10 to 11.30. It's not just the prayer meeting, 9.30 to 11.30. You guys better put a, a handbrake on Beck, just so you know. Because Becky is our administrative, uh, uh, she's called the administrative assistant, she basically is the administrative uh, executive, she really runs this place more and more, and her idea is if 9.30 to 9.45 is not long enough, we'll just start praying at 9. And then if that's not long enough, we'll just start praying at 8.30. She just loves you and Jesus. Don't put a handbrake on her, I'm just kidding, I'm just saying. So how do we do it? How do we minister to one another? What are we called to do? So it's not just this time, but it's just being involved and participating in one another's lives, including this time. Let me give you some examples from the Scriptures. How do we do this? We be humble. We confess our sins one to another. That's Christian ministry. Who have you confessed to? Who's confessing to you? We confess our sins one to another. We don't go to a priest. You don't have to see Josh, Jib, or myself to confess your sins. Please don't. We couldn't be burdened with all of your sins. We're not special. Jesus can. We can't. But some of who are you confessing to? James says, confess to one another. We humble. We prayerful. pray for one another. Don't solve each other's problems. Pray for each other. Encourage one another. We're encouraging. Are you encouraging each other's faith? Is your faith being encouraged? Encouragement doesn't always feel good, like Jib's rebuke. It was an encouragement to trust God for rest. It might not feel good. I might not like it. I might go, Jib, you don't understand. I've got this like superpower to go on forever. I'm like more, more gifted than you are. Maybe you need a rest. I don't need a rest. I might not like it, but at the end of the day, it's an encouragement to trust God, yeah. not myself. Training, that we teach and edify each other with God's Word. That we bless each other, finding, seeing, and taking opportunities to, good, to do good to each other. Paul says, seek these things. Look for them. Be observant. What are you seeking? What are you observant of? When you read the news, what are you looking for? Paul says, wake up in the morning and look around to see how you can do good to others, especially those of the household of faith. Be creative about it. Anna, Anna's done that. She's thought about, how can I bless Mark and As as they head out on this new season? What a way. She's thought about, how can I do good to them? Forgiving, resolving conflict, pursuing peace, forming, modeling and mentoring one another. If you've been walking with Jesus for a while, and you've got spiritual gray hair, more and more and more you're going to get less and less and less out of the church. I remember growing up, I was so confused. I thought my dad was my favorite preacher. Uh, not, Not I thought, my dad was my favorite preacher, and every week I was amazed as he opened up the word of god to our church and i remember one of the elders my best friend's dad saying uh, to me one day like yeah i don't think there's anything in a sermon that i haven't i don't already know or as soon as they say the text and start the sermon i already know where it's going to go and he wasn't trying to be arrogant or anything he was he was making some other kind of point but i remember that struck me because i'm like what it's always a surprise to me if This is what I'm saying. If you've walked with Jesus for a long time, you've read the Bible, you've been living in it, you, you've, you're, you're, you've grown up spiritually, yeah, maybe, you won't, maybe the preaching will seem to get less and less. You know, I remember back in the day how great the preaching was. It's not so much nowadays. It may just be that you're more mature. It may just be that there's less to kind of surprise you. It may just be the old truths that you've heard for the tenth time. They don't feel the same as you've them for the first time. It, it may just be some healthy familiarity. But all I'm trying to say is, model, mentor. Paul says, if that's you, and and you and the holy and the, sorry, not the Holy Spirit, the evil spirit, the Satan comes and goes, you know, like. You know, there's, there's no life for you. There's no place for you. There's no, you're unseen. You're unwanted. There's no future for you. Your time's over. It's all for the young people now. It's a lie. It's the devil. Rebuke it. Stop hearing it. Here's what's needed. Yes, maybe you're not going to come and receive and receive and receive. It's because you have a massive well to give. It's because you have so much to pull people alongside you and to share. Let me read the Bible with you. Let me talk to you about God's truths. Let me pray with you. Let me give you an encouraging word. I'm not just talking about... I'm not talking about age. I'm talking about spiritual gray hairs, which may include age. Loving. Love each other in practical and sacrificial ways. Honoring each other. Paul said... You know that in the Bible, this is the only thing we're told to be competitive about in the New Testament? In nothing else. We're told to be humble about everything. We're told not to boast in anything but Jesus Christ. You know what we're told to be, and, and each other. You know what we're told to be humble about? Uh, sorry, what competitive about? Go read the text. Honor. Who can be the best at honoring others? You know, it's a bit unfair, because the guys who come on the microphone, they can honor you, because they have a microphone. You don't. So, you, you, you know, you're, you're the underdog, and in Australia, we love the underdog. Church, you're the underdog of honor. Don't just let people honor you and honor you and honor you. Get off your bum and honor people. Honor the heck out of them. Honor everything you can about them. Be a competitive athlete. Be an Olympic athlete of honor. Find the good, the smallest good you can. That's truly there. Find it and honor it. Serve one another lovingly, Paul says. Dignify each other. Cover each other in love, Peter says. Enjoy each other uh, in, a, in a preferential way. You said, when you eat together, wait for each other. Don't make it about food. This is what they were doing, you know, getting together and getting lost in the food. No, enjoy each other. Just wait. Wait for one another. Defer to one another. Be with each other. Enjoy the fellowship. Worship together. We did this this morning. Be accountable. Submit to one another. Prefer each other. Paul says, accept each other. Accept each other as we are. Motivate each other towards good works. Welcome each other. Welcome each other warmly. This is what face-to-face ministry looks like. It's not rocket science. It's not hard. It's we bring the life that we have from Jesus to others. Have you been comforted by the Spirit? Comfort. Have you been encouraged? Encouraged. Have you found truth? Then share it. Have you? Give. And not being, these are just some things we shouldn't be, is judge duties. We shouldn't be running around judging each other. Let me just make a statement about that. It's hard for those who have a spiritual gift of discernment, sometimes to not be cynical and judgy. Try and put the judgy away and keep the discernment. It's okay to be discerning. It's a gift of the Spirit. But don't think that you have a superior ability to judge others. Discern for the good of others. But don't lose the gift. Sometimes we chuck the gift out with the the baby with the bathwater or we keep the baby and the dirty bathwater. Try to separate them if you can Big headed Henrys, provoke or envy one another. Don't do that. This is what Paul says don't provoke or envy one another. Lying Larrys, don't lie to one another. Gossiping Gilberts, don't speak bad about one another. It's not rocket science. We're called to face to face ministry. When we spend time with each other, there should be a sense at which at least one of us, because if one of us is burdened and sharing things and we're just struggling, then it should be at least that person that gets encouraged by the other. At least one of us should leave going, man, I feel lighter and less burdened than I did when I saw this person. But hopefully it's everyone, or both of us, leave going, wasn't it good to fellowship with one another? Peter writes to the Christians, you have received a special gift from God and it's proper to use it to serve one another. So how's your face-to-face ministry going? It's not for the pastors. It's not for the leaders. It's not for the spiritually mature. Every one of us, the Thessalonians, are at least three weeks old. They may not be older. We think they're probably a bit older than three weeks. We don't know. But according to Acts, they're three weeks in When Paul leaves, that's not a very old spiritual baby. And Paul says, the assumption is, uh, sorry, the the assumption is that they're doing well because they're uh, holding to the gospel and they're ministering to each other's needs. There's no passengers, no invisible people. If you feel invisible, I just want to tell you, you're not. It must be a terrible feeling. I'm very tall, very white, with very red hair. It's very hard to feel uh, invisible it must be a very difficult thing to, be, to feel invisible but I just want to tell you there are no invisible people in God's church yeah. and it's a, it's a lie don't believe it you're not invisible you are loved you are seen you are as important as every other person You no one forgotten no one useless no one unnecessary no one more or less important we all need each other Not in a a flat egalitarian sense, no one matters more. It's like, no, everyone matters the same. It's not like make the the king of England just an ordinary guy. You know the Australian way, tall poppy syndrome, let's bring everyone up there, down as low as we can go. No, Jesus lifts everyone up as high as we can go. Why? We do face-to-face ministry with future glory in mind. Paul says a surprising thing. He says... You are our hope, joy, and crown of boasting when Jesus returns. You are our hope, joy, crown of boasting. One day we'll stand before God and God will judge our life, each one of us. And Paul says that our hope, joy, and crown of boasting will be found in one another. Um, So here's the difficult thing is that something of, I'm not sure how to fully understand it because it's an eternal matter. But there is some reality of the people in this room, the people who God has put us together with, uh, our Christian brothers and sisters, and, and those that are coming to Christ, that we will look at one another and found our hope, joy, and, and heavenly reward, glory, in one another. I think it plays out something like this. This is how I imagine. That one day I'll get to heaven, and I'll see Nas there, and, and I don't think we'll be married in heaven. I'll see Nas there, and she will be uh, my deep and profound friend, and we'll look at God together, and I'll be like, God, I walked with her. I saw her life. I saw how she loved you. Did you see that, Lord? Did you see the time when she... What's happening? My joy and my hope is being shared with the Lord, but shared in Nas. It's in her. It's, it's her. It's how she walked with the Lord. It's what she did. It's how she loved other people. It's giving me joy in the presence of the Lord. Lord, do you remember the time that I was down and she picked me up and she prayed for me and she challenged me and she rebuked me and she encouraged me and she pointed me towards you? God, when you bless her, when you reward her, don't forget that. And as we look around, we are each other's hope, joy, and glory in heaven. That In the presence of the Lord, we don't forget each other, like next in line. I hope I get more than Josh, but it's probably going to be harder because you know he had a full-time job and sacrificed more to do what he did. Ugh. That doesn't sound very joyful if all it is is about getting special rewards that have nothing to do with relationships. But if Josh and I are standing alongside and God goes, Josh, here's your reward I give to you, and I, there's something in me that he wants to go, but God, he, he, you know, do you remember when and how He and, and, the, and God goes, yeah, I know. I was waiting for that, Mark. I just wanted you to feel the joy and the hope. Uh, of, of Josh's delight and blessing. So what I haven't shown you yet is this mountain that has been, of blessing that's been set aside for him. Here you go. I'm, I'm playing it out, but do you get how um, we fellowship in joy? Can you imagine kids under the Christmas tree when Christmas comes? Can you imagine in the perfection of a family, what would it look like? No, that's mine. No, how come Johnny got this and I got this? That's not the perfection of joy. That's not perfection of a healthy family. But when they open up some gift and every all the other siblings go, "Oh my gosh, that's exactly what you wanted. I'm so happy for you. That's awesome." They're sharing in joy. There's a hope. So how's your how's your hope going? How's your joy going? When we go to be with the Lord one day and we look around at the faces we see here, is there an investment Do we care? Is there a love? The the answer is hopefully yes, not an obvious no, just to be very clear. Um, It's not supposed to be a prickly question. All I guess I'm saying is, if if your life is positioned, let's say life is positioned here, then it may be confusing to you why you're so excited to love other people, but I'm just explaining why. It's a normal thing for those who walk with Jesus to love caring for others. What you invest in today is what you will trust in tomorrow. What you invest in today is what you will trust in tomorrow. Lastly, how do we face... uh, How? How? So we do face-to-face ministry with the future glory in mind as co-workers with God for the good of others. Paul uses this interesting phrase. He says, Timothy is a co-worker of God. Now, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a promotion. Think about it. Paul has called Timothy in the past his fellow co-worker, uh, his son in the Lord. You know, son is probably a promotion of a co-worker of Paul. I'd like to be a co-worker of Paul, but I'd love it if Paul would call me his spiritual son. But Paul goes now, and he goes, Timothy is a co-worker of God. Whoa, that's quite a promotion. But it tells us something about our face-to-face ministry in the church. Paul doesn't know exactly what Timothy is going to find when he gets to Thessalonica. He doesn't know if the Christians have kind of they're, they're, through persecution; they've just kind of died off, and he's going, Timothy's going to have to somehow find the courage and. Um, clarity to bring them back together, and then to reteach them, to recatechize them in, in the basic foundation, to teach them the basics again of what they, what they believe, and then to build them up and to set them in place. He doesn't know that, but he, or if the, he finds them and they're this like thriving church, then Timothy will know what to do. God will show him. In other words, what Paul is, is telling us is that when we walk with God and each other, it is God that will help us to work with Him in each other's lives. It will, God, it will be God that will teach us and lead us. So Jesus said to His disciples, um, Hey, you're going to be arrested. Whoa, that's not great news. And then He says this, And don't prepare your defense. Oh, I thought you told us we were going to get arrested so we could prepare our defense. Imagine if like, the elders get told today, Hey guys, next week you guys as three pastors are going to get arrested for what you teach. Then we'd spend the next week having discussions about what we plan on saying. Let's get our story straight. What does the Bible say about this thing we're getting arrested for? Let's be sure about what we think it says. Jesus says, you're going to get arrested and don't plan to say anything. Why? Because when the time comes when they say, what do you have to say for yourselves? The Holy Spirit will tell you exactly what to say. How do you prepare for that? Well, you can't. I think the point there is, you know, how am I going to be a blessing to other people, Lord? Just... Get up out of bed and get out. I'll show you. Just grab your phone and I'll put someone on your heart. Pray, pray. God, who can I bless right now through an encouraging text? Lord, who can I call right now and just encourage them in some way? Lord, where can I go? We have more money than, than we need. Lord, who can I bless? Who who can I gift? Who can I look after? Lord, who needs an encouragement? Who needs a meal? Lord, we have a car. We have a house. Lord, you may get nothing. Do nothing. But get up and get ready to go. And the Lord will lead us. The Lord will teach us. Jesus said, I'm going to give you the helper. I'm going to send him to you. Paul understood this partnership. He says to the Corinthians, listen to this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God This is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've received this faith through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. His, His ministry is all over your lives. It's due to the love of God. You are well loved. Those are two things you cannot deny, that His grace and His love, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Fellowship. Grace and love, there's not much you can do about. You are graced, you are loved. But fellowship is relationship. You can do a lot about that. In Acts 2, it says that the uh, first Christians devoted themselves to koinonia. It's fellowship, exactly the same word, the koinonia of the fellowship. In other words, there's this fellowship that believers have with God through the Holy Spirit and one another. They devoted themselves to the koinonia, the fellowship between one another, and the koinonia, the fellowship they had with God through the Holy Spirit. There's this kind of fellowship of God looking after us through each other, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And He gives these gifts. We see an example of this. Um, Look what happened Uh, in the New Testament, Acts 13, 2. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting... Oh, man. Now, I think Josh will tell us that that and fasting may have been put in there. Um, May or may not have been put in there uh, that particular time. There are times where and fasting is put into the Scriptures that uh, aren't there in the original text. Now, they were worshipping the Lord at least and maybe fasting. The Holy Spirit said... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. You see the fellowship there? The koinonia? While they were face to face, worshiping the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. The Scripture is not about how amazing it is the Holy Spirit spoke to them. That's not the context of the text. The Scripture is not about defending that the Holy Spirit speaks. The Scripture assumes, if you go read the the full text, The normal way of walking with God is that we're together, functioning, uh, living, worshipping, praying, trusting God, and then the Holy Spirit just shows, gives guidance, leads, persuades. The Holy Spirit said, set aside for me Paul and Barnabas. What does that mean? It means from that moment on people go, no, but Paul is like this amazing Christian. I was so looking forward to getting to know the guy. Sorry, He's he's not for you guys alone. He's going to have to get spent all over Macedonia and Corinth and blah, 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 blah. All over Asia Minor. Paul's going to travel. He's not for you alone. No. Set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas. All right. And so this church sends them, gives them up. Let me land it. Living a godly life means that each one of us is called to -to face-to-face ministry. With a future glory in mind, as co-workers with God, for the good of others. My question, as I as I shift my life, wherever your life is, it doesn't matter. I'm not. It's a, I don't. I don't want you to like tell me because we're not making heroes or foes. Wherever your life is, let's say your life is all the way here, and you just start to shift your life, your priorities, your affections, your uh, philosophies and ideologies and beliefs towards face-to-face, community, the, the people that God has placed you with, and you start to decide, yeah, I'm going to move towards um, my life like Jesus gave His life for me, I'm going to give my life for those who belong to Jesus and, and to tell other people about Jesus and to love others and serve others and care for others and, um, God, and be in community that God has put. As you do that, the question is not, what do I have to give? The question is, how does the Holy Spirit want to use me to be a blessing? And I'm going to answer that question by saying this. The, th- the thing, I think of Cheryl, as easy as breathing, Cheryl can move across the room, we'll walk over to someone and say, hey, um, God really just put this encouraging word on my heart, this text for you, I just want to share it with you, can I pray for you? As easy as Breathing. Someone else, I I remember Rachel Truscott. That's not her name anymore. Uh, She goes with her husband, Caleb, to... um, I was going to say Riverview. Sorry, Thea. Or um, Providence. Um, And I remember Rachel saying... uh, Paul talks in in, in Corinthians about eagerly desiring the gifts of the Holy Spirit that edify the body. And she said, I would love... To give an encouraging word to someone, I've never God's never used me that way. I've got like administrative gifts and serving gifts, but I've never had an encouraging word that's from the Lord. Not like a cheerleader word, like "Go you," <laughs> but like a word from the Lord. Hey, God has put you on my heart, and here's a text that I think that God has for you. Here's a word I think God has for you to encourage you. Can I can I leave that with you and pray for you? She, and so she went. What should I do? And we went, well, Paul says, pray for it. So pray. Pray that God might use you, encourage you. Okay? So she prayed. I don't remember the time frame. My memory on these things is terrible. But let's say a week. A week or two, three, whatever later, she arrives at church, and she has on her heart someone and an encouraging word. Is this that? Probably. But it feels so normal. Yep, then it probably definitely is. It doesn't feel made up. It doesn't feel worked hard. It doesn't feel um, like we need whatever. Well, just go share it and just trust it to the Lord. So you have someone like Cheryl who has, you know, can do it like breathing and someone like Rachel that tr- asks God, God, can you use me in this way to bless someone? It's so unnatural. It's not like breathing. It's hard work. I've got to pray and ask you. And then suddenly God uses it. Both could, anyway, my point is to say this. For some things, it will just feel like breathing. You'll go, oh, this isn't a gift, because it's just, you know, anyone could do it. Well, not anyone can do it. You can do it. And that's why it feels normal, because it's a gift that God is working through you. If you listen to an evangelist, and you ask an evangelist, how do you help people get saved? How do you lead people to Jesus? I'm glad someone asked, you know, because I'm so sick of the church being so inward-looking and passive. If they would just get outside and tell someone about Jesus, we'd see more people saved. We wouldn't. That's just someone talking from within their gift. When they go outside, there's a guy I've heard of in Sydney. He goes outside. He's crossing the street. The light's turned red. He's waiting. He crosses, the, he pushes the button. Bloop. There's a person standing next to him waiting. Do-doot. Do-doot they start walking they get to the other side when they started the conversation this person was not a christian when they got to the other side the person was a christian what is that 30 seconds ask that person how they did it they're useless anyone can do it you push the button you tell them about jesus you walk across the road the holy spirit comes they receive christ all of you can do that who can walk across the road you raise your hand, you can do it too that's not how it works, but that's how it feels when you're, doing, uh, when you're serving others within the gifts that God has given you. It just seems easy to do. There's a guy, I'm not going to say his name because I'm going to disagree with him. There's a guy who prays for people to get healed. They get healed all over the show, especially in airports. He travels a lot and, and um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a wonderful, encouraging person, lovely man. And he goes to airports, and then he, God will just put someone on his heart, and he'll just go sit next to them, and you just say, Hey, man, I've got this word that uh, you have like some problem with your kidney. If it's true, could I pray for you? And the person goes, Yeah, actually, I'm flying to so-and-so, such a place, I'm going to get some surgery, I'm dying, um, it'll be great. And he goes, he prays for them, and then he finds out that they got fully healed. And then he gets up, on, and part of his um, ministry is on, he preaches at churches, and he gets up, and I've heard him, and I've read his books. He'll go... And this is just the normal work of the Holy Spirit in every believer's life. And I would say, yes, it's the normal work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, but not in every believer's life. That's condemnation because lots of believers pray for the sick and don't see them get healed. So are they doing something wrong? They're not. It is the normal work of the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't happen the same way through every person. But you have a gift or gifts. Everyone, Peter says, all of you have received gifts from the Holy Spirit that enable you to love and serve and bless and encourage. Andy Lee has served way harder than I have for 10 years. He doesn't look a day older than 10 years ago he's more handsome, he's more lovely, he's more lively, he, he's more wonderful. If you see Andy at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning, he's abounding in joy. He has a tough job where he works 12 hours a day. He doesn't get long holidays. It's in construction, so that's brutal. You, you, you're working with brutal people. And then he arrives on Sunday, and he looks like he's just, had a, he's just been to Mexico for a week. And then people come and say, Andy, you're serving too much. Andy, please, you know, take care of yourself. Andy, and and that's true. Like, love your brother, that's fine. But you but what we might really be saying is, Andy, I'm uncomfortable with how good you look serving. Can you lower the level to my my comfort? You know what? Let Andy serve. Let Andy with the Holy Spirit's help serve because Andy shows us. That Jesus never gets tired of serving. That Jesus never goes, Oh, I've done more than all of you. You show up and I'll do something else. I've cooked and cleaned for all of you. I've prepared a new heaven and a new earth. The least you could do is show up at church. No? Okay. Well, I'm out for a while until you start showing up more. Andy reminds us of the humble servant nature of Jesus who lays himself down for us. Now, Andy doesn't have Jesus' unlimitedness and he does need to take care of himself right? I'm not burdening him now with, he's never allowed to have a break. I'm just saying, there's a man who's comfortable in his gift. Everyone, Peter says, all of you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit so that you might do good to one another. If you're not a Christian this morning, the message for you is that Jesus loves you, he wants to grab a hold of your life and ruin it. Because the way that you're going is, is going to lead to eternal separation from God. And He wants to ruin that. He doesn't want you to be eternally separated from God. That's a plan He wants to ruin. And He'd like to bring a new plan into your life where you have eternal connection with God. Where you are called a son or a daughter of God. Where you know that you are loved by God. You know that you are his child I and mean, you're adopted by God. You become his, not because of things you've done. You go, but I didn't grow up in a Christian home. That's so fine. It's perfect. You go, I haven't done like, all the good things, or I'm, I'm busy doing this, or I'm, I'm doing this, and I think that they're not good things, and maybe none of that's going to save you. Jesus saves you. Yeah. That's what he went to the cross for. It's done. It's finished. And then he makes you part of his family. And then he says, I'm going to give you, for the rest, for all of us, I'm going to give you the helper. And He's going to help you. Keep in step with Him. You can fall out of step with Him, like the Galatians. And maybe you're in this room, maybe you're out of step with the Holy Spirit in your life. Paul says to the Galatians, get in step with the Holy Spirit. Keep in step with Him. So you get in step with the Holy Spirit, and then He's going to work through your life to be a blessing to others. Adam and Kirsty, the way they love. Isn't that amazing? Don't, don't compare yourself or anyone else to them. Just enjoy the demonstration of God's love through them. When, when they were, I mean, I, you know, I don't know how much or how little money they have, but when they were what seemed to me not to have much, they gave Nas and I a $50 Whisk card. Our kids had never been allowed to go to Whisk because we didn't want them to have diabetes <laughs> and we couldn't afford it. We could afford it. We didn't want to afford it. Here comes a couple with, I'm sure, less means than us at the time. And they give us a card so we can take all of our kids and go get diabetes together. <laughs> Jokes. I'm just joking. That... <laughs> the faithfulness of a man like Rob. My glory is not in Rob's faithfulness, but the demonstration of Christ's faithfulness that we see through. A man who stands on the Word of God like it's gold... He will not move to the left or the right. He will not be shaken or stirred, James Bond style. He stands on the Word of God. And when we lose our way, we're planning summer, summer, summer camp. We're going to learn how to uh, receive God's Word. And, and our thinking is to get a guy like Rob to talk to us about how the Word of God undergirds you and encourages you and uh, presses you forward because we need it. Is my glory in Him? Kind of, not really. It's what God is doing in Him, through Him, that we all glory in. And I'll go to heaven one day, and I'll I'll see Jesus, and then I'll see Rob, and I'll go, Jesus, thank you so much for the encouragement Rob was to my life while on earth. And then I'll go to Rob, and I'll go, look! Our dream! We're here together! Oh my gosh! Do you see how it's a shared joy? All three of us. And I can work the room, and, and tell you, keep going. But I'll forget some. I'll lie about others. (laughs) And it's been a long sermon already. But hopefully you feel a little bit provoked and encouraged to move towards valuing the face-to-face, ministry one to another, co-workers of God. It's not rocket science. Just keep in step with the Spirit. That's how you do it. For the good of each other and God's glory. That's... People in Perth might look at the church and go, "Wow, there's something about that. There's something about their message. There's something about their joy, their life." And we'd see people saved, coming to know Jesus. Let me pray.